Welcome to Marketing and the Sales Guy, a show where a sales guy attempts to show how smart he is by sharing and discussing marketing ideas with real smart people in B2B marketing. Hi, everyone. On the podcast today, I have James McLean Horton from the Kids Club Early Childhood Learning Centers. Welcome, James. Thanks for being on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. I appreciate being here. Yeah, no problem at all. No, great to have you on. We normally have a, a kind of central topic to talk through, but James and I talked through a number of kind of interesting areas. So we're probably going to jump around a little bit today and consider a variety of questions that may be on marketers' minds. But before we do that, before we jump in on that, maybe James, you could tell us briefly what kind of marketing roles you've had in the past and maybe what you're doing currently. Sure, Jeremy. Yeah, look, it's been quite a wide and varied career. I think that I've jumped around, I've jumped around quite a bit between multinationals to startups. I've worked in B2B and B2C. I've worked in everything from automotive performance to uh, photocopiers. Uh, and I'm presently working in early childhood education, which has been a bit of a passion of mine. So it's it's been a bit of a it's been a it's been a very different but a very exciting career change. Oh, great. Thanks. Uh, but no, that gives us a good kind of overview of the kind of variety of roles you had. So thanks for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, sir, James, just to kick things off with with the first question, um, which is something we talked a little bit about and something I'm quite interested in. Um, here's a Should marketers become more specialized, have specific skill sets, or, or should they become more generalists? What, what is your thoughts on that in the current state of marketing? Yeah, it's an interesting one. And I think you're going to always get a few schools of thought, but I think there's two main schools of thought. You'll definitely get people that will say you should specialize and you'll get people that say you should become more generalist. I think that over my experience, which is now just under 20 years of working in marketing, uh, when when I was first starting out, the the specialist path was really becoming a big thing because digital was starting to expand quite rapidly at that point in time. And everyone was was jumping on Facebook, in, in particularly in the Australian market anyway. And there was this real rush towards finding people that could specialize in particular areas. And as that developed, it went from being, we're looking for digital marketers to, we need someone that's, a, that's an SEO marketer. And we need, now we need someone that's a social marketer and we need an EDM marketer. And I think that there will always be pockets in particular companies that will require those skills and expertise. But my personal experience or what I've found is that generalizing your marketing skill set is quite important. And I think that from my own perspective, from my own personal experience, the big benefit to that is, is that, and we discussed this at length previously, it's very hard to exist in a digital world without having a, a traditional understanding. I think what's more important now, and you hear it touted around quite a bit, is omni-marketing. And I mean, it's been around for a long time, but it's become more and more popular. Even as I look out in the industry, I can see more and more roles are moving towards that omni space. And that is really, it is that specialized, <laughs> we were talking about specialized focus, but it is really, sorry, it is, it is a wide focus on making sure that you're combining all of your marketing efforts. Uh, and that really, I think that's I think that's probably one of the most important things uh, to, to focus on is getting that wider 
a less specialist, more generalist, and focusing on how can I and, and, and you're not limited. If if you, if you're if you have specialized in an area, for example, like SEO, you're not limited to that. You can go out there and investigate other areas. And I think that is important because everything that you're doing within that SEO space really has to reflect the way that buyer behavior works. It is really going to, that, that, that buyer behavior is going to be influenced by what they see in print, what they see in television, what they hear on radio. So it is important to understand what is happening in that space for my industry. If radio, for example, has a big impact in your audience and your product and your market, you would want to know exactly what is being said in that because when the customer goes online to search for the term that they're hearing in the radio, you have to be in key with that. Um, so uh, hopefully that gives you a sort of good example of, of the way that I feel about it. Yeah, no, listen, absolutely. I have two thoughts on that is one is, and I agree with you, certainly for the kind of senior market, it makes sense to be a generalist. And I think just the sheer number of channels available and responsibilities for marketers now with the number of channels and data and technology is impossible almost to be a kind of specialist. Uh, I also remember the actual difficulty in becoming a specialist. I remember a marketer saying to me that he remembers employing a very a younger person to be a Facebook specialist, and they spent a few years in that role and became a specialist. But because things changed so quickly, he could actually recruit again and have somebody up to speed in six months because things changed so quickly. So even employing specialists has its challenges. But I imagine there is a need more and more for marketers to maybe be the generalist, but to, to really lean on, on specialists in their work. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And even just from my own microcosm here, for one of a, for one of a better term, even myself, like I'm I'm 40 now, and just recently, and I've I've used the program before, but not to any great extent. We've just recently uh, brought in Salesforce to manage our CRM and our marketing, and also our customer service. And and I've run that project, and and I think about that as my my job has been. For, for pretty much my well, all my entire career has been marketing. I, it's really where I've been focused. And now I've stepped into this role where, where I'm a CMO. And I guess probably the better way to describe my title is almost like, and I've, I've seen this trend growing as well, as more, more like a chief growth officer because I do encompass sales and I do encompass customer service as part of my role. But really my role's changed so much from being just marketing to now also being really a project manager so my role's growing in, in regards to not even just being in the marketing realm. It's expanded beyond that. But you did bring up one interesting point and, and you, you nailed it with one, one keyword, no, no pun intended. You said Facebook. And that's an interesting one because when what I've experienced with these types of companies like Facebook or Meta, as they're, as they're now referred to, they, they essentially create roles really for, for the industry. So when you talk about a specialist, I, like I'm, I'm jumping into Facebook again now and, and going through all the meta training courses because I think that it's important for, for, for anyone that works in marketing to be able to understand it. And it is funny that you mentioned that one because that is the one area where I'm looking at it now thinking, man, like Facebook or meta and Google, they've really nailed that. You, you do almost need specialists with qualifications in those markets, just like you do very similarly like what I'm doing with Salesforce to be able to help you get the best out of them. So while you say, okay, yep, be a generalist, I think I, I absolutely, that is obviously the shared opinion that we have as well. Being that generalist, I think also you have to be aware of your limitations and then understand, oh, hang on a minute, 
I don't like, I know a little bit about everything, which is what a generalist is. You're, you're, jack, you're a jack of all trades, master of none, but you will have to, throughout your role and your career, you will have to go, go and find those specialists. Just like the journey that I've been on with Salesforce, I've had to reach out to specialists to be able to help me upskill my knowledge. And it's the same thing even today with Facebook, Google, we use agency support as well. And I will have to reach out to those guys at some point in time to say, hey, I've seen this digital witchcraft that I wanted to. I know that it's possible because I have a high level understanding of it, but I may not understand the finer mechanics. We need to talk about that specialist, generalist role. Specialists absolutely have their places. And I think that it is important that we, we continue to leverage off them as generalists, particularly as you move up your senior levels of your career. Yeah, no, listen, uh, that makes sense, James. Um, just on that subject of specialist if you were looking to recruit people to your team be they within your team at, at your company or kind of outside specialists what are the key kind of attributes what were the key things you'd be looking for to for these people to join your team yeah that, that's a good point i think that with a specialist with a generalist it's fairly it's not easy sorry i shouldn't say that but with a generalist, you can be like, oh, okay, I'm going to look for someone that's got qualification and a little bit of experience. And particularly if I'm hiring more of a, a junior to going into that mid-level, I, I can see pretty quickly that they've got a wider gamut, a wider skill set. They're not as hard to recruit, I, I believe. But I have been down the path before where I wanted to find someone that would be a, essentially, we, we, wanted, an, we wanted an SEO, SEM specialist to, to sit internally at one point. Um the, the one thing with them is that it's, there's no, like, you have to remove the university degree thinking and move more towards what qualifications can they show me that they've done with things like, I think they, they've got Google Garage, there's Google Skillshop, where they do get qualified, but also what's really important for those roles when I'm looking at them is their level of experience. So I'm really going to be looking at, okay, how much have they honed in on this actual role? Or is this something that they're just good at and passionate about and they're going to come to my business and, and act as a little bit of a trialing ground and that's not that's also not a problem provided that the, i think they can do the role however i'm really going to be looking at okay where have they existed before where have they proven themselves where have they actually been able to show their skills because particularly with specialist and generally specialist roles they've existed in that space and in a way that is they're highly kpi driven and they are very focused on hitting targets, especially if you talk about digital people. So you are going to be looking for where have they had success before and can they replicate that within my organization for that specific skill set? Yeah, no, that's not a bad place to start, is it? Looking for success. Uh, I think that's, uh, that makes a great deal of sense. And so just to switch a little bit, James, mm -hmm. here's a question for you, which we could probably spend hours talking about. So it's a little bit of an unfair question. So it's pretty broad. So how should marketers use technology? There you are. In, in five seconds, can you answer that? <laughs> in five seconds. Um, uh, yeah, you, you really set the challenge here, Jeremy. Um, a little bit more than five seconds then. Okay, yeah, that'd be good. I think if I put it in a nutshell, I would say wisely. And why I say that is because I think that there is a, there's such a wide gamut of technology that's available, right? And it's easy to get blindsided by all the stuff out there. And anyone who's worked in marketing for more than a few weeks will understand you are going to get bombarded with all sorts of advertising and tech that will come your way and tell you that it is the latest and greatest thing. 
you just look at trying to find just even for, for myself right now, looking at project management tools and you've got ads from Asana and Monday.com and Trello board and, and they come out of everywhere. And I think that we can often get very distracted and we lose focus on what is the core thing that we're trying to achieve. And as marketers and particularly in organizations, I've noticed many years ago, a lot of organizations are really focused on what is the objective and, and how are we going to achieve that? And, and I'm personally, I'm a really big fan of the, the SOSTAC modeling, which starts with a situational analysis. And then you go through objectives and strategies, tactics, actions, and then control. I think that a lot of the time we've lost that focus sometimes in marketing. We, we, we go, oh, I, I need this thing. I need that thing. Does it align with your objectives? Does it make sense to bring that thing in? So for me, technology is obviously a, a key component of, of what we work with here, particularly within early education. There, there, there was this sort of, I think there's been this big shift in the industry in the last few years. It's moved from being very much the smaller operators into larger tier operators. Even ourselves, we grew from seven to 32 centers in just a couple of years. And, and we actually grew through the pandemic. And, and we needed to find technology that would support that. And, and when we were looking at all the different options we had available, in fact, and, and this company was only, I think it was about five or six years old when I got here, they'd already gone through two CRM iterations. And that was because there was no one here looking at it going, what is the objective we're trying to control for, for CRM? What is it and how does it support our long-term growth? And I think that aligning those values is really important when you talk about technology. If it doesn't meet your objective, if it doesn't align with what you're trying to achieve, why are you even looking at it? Yeah, let's just start it with the objective. It just makes sense, isn't it? But I do wonder when marketers have a budget and, and they're just starting a role where they just see kind of technology uh, as a solution. So this is what we're doing next without really assessing the need for it. This is what all our competitors have. Maybe we should have this as well. I don't know how that much, how that kind of informs people's opinion as well. And obviously the big topic at the current point in time is AI. <clears throat> it's become, it, it filters into every conversation. Everyone's talking about chat GPT or the latest image creator from an AI machine. And I was, in fact, I attended a speakers networking event just a few weeks ago and AI came up and there was this real tension in the crowd about how AI is going to take marketing jobs and how it's going to take away from people. And I think that yes it's good to investigate one of my favorite tv shows i just have to call it out is ted lasso and he says in that show be curious i love that line be curious don't judge so it's easy to sit back and, and be like okay I'm, I'm either not going to use ai because it's going to take my job or i am going to use ai because it's going to make my life easier how about you just take a little bit of a middle ground be curious investigate play with it it's not going to hurt you. And, and, and even here, we, we've started playing with some AI models and how we can help that or use that to help us assess essentially our industry and some ways that we could possibly think about it. But it's not controlling our lives and it's certainly not controlling our business. It's just a tool that we can use and we can resource from, but we don't have to reject it and we don't have to be afraid of it and we don't have to let it control us either. So it, there is this thing about finding a middle line. Yeah, listen, I jokingly asked you to give me an answer in five seconds, and you actually just did. How should marketers best use technology? Be curious. So you actually, you did nail it. <laughs> um, well, thank you. Thank you, Ted Lasso. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Hey, listen, I did say we were going to jump around a little bit. So this yeah. is a kind of bit more of a traditional kind of question, something people would have asked over the years. And it involves the kind of recession word that people don't like to use. Uh, how do you think marketers should change their marketing or should they change the marketing wh when they're in the recession? How would you respond to a real recession and how would that change your marketing? Absolutely. I think that, and marketing is such an interesting thing to talk about during a recession or, or any downturn in a business. It doesn't even have to be a, an economical recession. It can almost be like a, a slump in, in business operations. Uh, and, and the traditional aspect in, in most organizations was always like, let's cut marketing. <clears throat> it was the simple one to cut because I think in the past, and very much even today, marketing was hard to prove. And even today, I heard an expression the other day, and it was, I know that 50% of my marketing is working, and I don't, I know that 50% isn't, I just don't know which one is which. And so it's easy for businesses, particularly at a senior level, to say, well, marketing, can we can lose a few things there. So during that recession, that downturn, it, is a, it can be a scary time for marketers. Luckily or unfortunately, I don't know which way you want to talk about it, but the, the GFC, I'd actually, I was actually working for a large Japanese multinational at that point in time in the print industry. And when that came around, I was relatively new to their marketing team. And I thought, this is it. I'm definitely going to get the chop here. In my own little world at that point in time, I decided that I would work myself to the point of working around analytics and numbers to become more valuable to the business. And I think the learning experience that I derived from that was that if you can produce or show the results as to what is and isn't working, marketing becomes less expendable. And to answer your question, should, should we change our marketing? Yeah, I think so. That there's a particular degree whereby, you know, you, you will have to change the message. And if I can jump forward to 2020, when Borden was, I've lost track of all my years now, 2021, 2022, we've, we've been going through rolling lockdowns. We're working in the early childhood education space. We, we often talk about this is a huge purchase decision for a family because we're taking care of their most valuable asset. I know you can't really call a child an asset, but for want of a better term, we're taking care of their most valuable asset. This is more important than a car, more important than a house. So the messaging that we had to really adapt and change during that time was significant. We really had to morph the way that we spoke to people particularly when people's finances are being affected, their livelihoods are changing, the way that they shop and the way that they interact and the way that they talk and the way that they communicate, all those things change. And therefore your marketing, you can't just send out a marketing message that says, hey, everything's great and don't worry about it when the whole world is out there burning. And it's the same thing with recession. If the whole world is out there burning, people don't want this message necessarily speaking that we're just going to bury our head in the sands and forget about it. They want you to work with them to find a solution. So I do think that providing and changing the message just a little bit or, or could be significant, but changing that message to accommodate to what's happening in the market is obviously going to be very important to make sure that you are communicating on an effective level with your audience. Yeah, no, so changing the message and focusing on results, that, uh, that certainly makes a great deal of sense. I'm just going to jump again here. So this is a question based on, and a lot of feedback I'm getting speaking with marketers, and it's about lead generation. It seems to be less, and this is more specific to B2B marketing. So a lot of the B2B marketers 
that I speak with, I'm finding that lead generation, which was always something everybody was interested in, seems to be on the decline. There seems to be less interest in leads, almost as if everybody has this big repository of leads now. They're looking now to maybe develop pipeline. Do you have any thoughts on whether kind of traditional lead generation is dead and whether marketers in B2B are focusing on other things now? Yeah, sure. That's an interesting topic for me because one of the huge things that we focus on here is obviously lead generation. From my personal perspective, no, I I don't think it is. But I understand why in a wider audience it could potentially be changing. And that is because we just have years ago, we didn't have access to information like we do today. There was always this huge focus on we we need that individual's details. But as Facebook and Google have evolved uh, and we can have new ways of being able to contact and and reach customers, we've become really a little bit less focused on who the individual is and where and more focused on where the individual is I, I do understand both sides of the coin do i think that lead generation is dead absolutely not 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 in my personal experience my personal perspective the people that i have conversations with even friends working in more on the sales side for massive software companies the, these guys are, are really and girls these people are really focused on making sure that they do have the lead information, that they are generating that lead information so that they can talk to the individual, particularly if you're on a B2B level. And we spoke about this at, I think, at great length, ad nauseum, I think is the term we're looking for about that B2B versus B2C. Like we we, we spent so much time talking about that uh, previously in, in our last conversation. And I think that when you look at the B2B market, the B2B salesperson anyway, they really understand. And this is something that marketers have, I think, struggled with a little bit to some degree, that the B2B process is very similar to the B2C one. And that is, I'm still looking for an individual. I can't go knock on the door at McDonald's and McDonald's is not going to respond. The organization is not, the doors of the building are not going to open and start talking to me. This isn't this isn't some sci-fi fantasy thing. I'm going to find an individual, I have to find an individual. So when we are talking about that lead-based marketing and getting right down to the heart of who is the individual that is the influencer and who's the decision maker and who's going to be these these secondary influences to the decision-making process, I think that is incredibly important. I think that if you don't focus on that, if you don't look at that, particularly on a B2B level, you're, you're really going to struggle because if you want to go sell to someone, like I said, you can't just go, the building's not going to talk for them. The individual's going to talk on behalf of the organization. I think one of the things that was coming out of the conversation that I was having is that marketers in B2B were focusing a little bit more on building trust with the people they have in their kind of sphere of influence already, people in their database already. But that seems to be like a real challenging thing in B2B because B2B is a pretty professional, cynical world. You have professional buyers, marketers or whoever have to reach out to people that make decisions for a living on products and services. So in that kind of more cynical environment, how do you build trust? How do marketers build trust? It's a difficult one, I think. But do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, it's interesting. It takes me back to, I spent a few years working at Rico and we were actually starting a new product line and that's or, or a new product set or suite. And that's when I was brought into the organization to work as a lead generator a lead generation marketing manager. And I think that for us, building trust was an interesting one. It was about getting down to having one-to-one conversations with the decision maker. 
the when we wanted to capture interest uh, one of the things that the organization was doing at that point in time there was very broad marketing it was very come to our website here's our photocopiers and then the new suite they were really trying to push which was here's our new projection systems here's our new unified communications and here's our new digital whiteboards it was very like it was like going on to a, a big w website or sorry like a supermarket website and there wasn't really it was very cold there wasn't really an engagement there from a from developing an interest. One of the things that we worked on in our team, we, we had a few different lead gen managers. Um, one of the things that we worked on in our team was breaking down the market segments into different verticals. And then we would approach those market segments with different messages. And so to, in order to build that interest and to build that trust and to help educate that audience, which is obviously a very costly thing, educating people, educating audiences is very expensive. We broke it down into small microsites. Then we use those microsites and we populated them with things exactly like podcasts, white papers, videos. And in that process, we started to build a little bit of a, hey, subscribe for more information. And it wasn't really focused on our product. It was more focused on here's the industry and the way that it's moving. So what that did was it built authority in, in, in the customer's mind. It, it made us look like, it made that organization and that brand look like, Oh, okay, these guys are really on the forefront. They're researching it. They're not only just selling it, they understand it. And through that little process, what we did was we eventually started to, obviously as people were subscribing for the updates and subscribing for the podcasts and subscribing for the latest news, we started to build quite a healthy little list. And we didn't hit those people straight away. We didn't try and put them down the sales funnel. We didn't even pass them along to the business uh, dev team. We essentially just kept nurturing those relationships. Then we decided we'll work with the biz dev team and we actually put on events, many little events. And in my area, at that point in time, I was working in government and education. So what we did was we found locations that would be close or central to government organizations. For example, we had one up in Brisbane, quite close to their local government towers there. And we would invite them along to come along and hear about a speaker series. And we would invite one of our existing customers that would be relevant to their industry and they would actually be able to physically see and have a personal conversation with our team and the account managers. I think that we were talking about lead management and building trust is, is obviously the question that you're looking at here. I think that in order to do that, you need to not hit them so hard with the sell. You need to spend your time doing that brand awareness or building, building brand authority, for want of a better term, or that is the term. And you do that via creating an environment whereby, whereby the customer feels safe to interact with the brand and they start to understand, oh, okay, this is more than just, you know, this is more than just selling a unit. This is more than just pushing a service. These guys are passionate and passion breeds, I believe in that instance, I believe that the passion breeds the trust between the customer and the brand and they start to understand, okay, these guys are really the point of authority. And it, it goes back to that conversation we were having right back at the beginning where we were talking about employing people. And when you're looking at what skill set do they have, if they can prove to me that they've got it and they've got passion and I can see that they're, they're obviously, they've achieved success in the past, that builds the trust for me. And I'm going to buy into that person just like someone would buy into my brand. 
Yeah, lots of good points there, uh, James. I, th- I think even when you start at the beginning talking about being relevant, I think that's w- definitely one of the more important points uh, is to be relevant to people. And in that way, you can build trust. Listen, I, I wanted to pick up a little bit on something you mentioned earlier. When we talked about B2B and B2C marketers, you mentioned there's actually a, a, a great deal in common for both. But I wanted to unpick that a little bit. Is there anything that you think B2B marketers can learn from B2C marketers? Anything that is different that you feel uh, they can learn from B2C marketers? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's a few things. One of, one of the big things that I've learned in, in B2C tends to be very much about the above the line style advertising and, and B2B tends to be more below the line. They're, they're going to stick to more your, your, your emails and we, we're, we're going to network with people on LinkedIn. And I think that for me was such a weird way of doing it because I think that, and maybe this is an extreme example, but if, if I'm trying to sell a product to someone that's working in a B2B space and I'm trying to sell, I don't know, I'm trying to sell something in, in the software and banking, why couldn't I do a cheeky above the line campaign that would stick a billboard right out the front of their office? I'm still trying to sell to those people. They're still, that's still an individual. Like I said before, like the organization doesn't speak, the, the individual speaks for the organization. So I think that there's definitely things that they can learn from each other. And, but it comes back down to, again, like way back to what I was talking about before earlier about your objectives and your strategy and how you're going to actually get to that person. And if you take a step before that, we're talking about situational analysis. So we're, we're thinking about who is the person I'm trying to sell to? What is their current pain point? How do they digest information? On the daily, what are they looking at? You do that in both B2B and B2C, right? You, you don't, there's no huge dichotomy between the two. You, you actually, you follow very similar processes and then you pick the mediums in your marketing toolkit that you're actually going to use to be able to promote and talk to these people. I think the thing that drives me a little bit crazy about B2B or having worked in that space is that there was always, and, and then looking at it on the other side of B2C was that it was always this mindset that I'm promoting to an organization. No, no you're not. You're not, you, you aren't promoting to an individual. There's someone in that building, there's someone in that company that is, has a problem, has a issue that needs to be solved. And you're not going to be, you're not sending the email or you shouldn't be sending your emails or your communications to someone like inquiries at. It should really be going to Jeremy at. And when I'm talking to Jeremy, I'm solving Jeremy's problem. And I'm helping Jeremy be able to boost himself and be able to promote himself within his organization. And I need to make Jeremy look like he's the point of authority on this topic. It's similar when you're selling someone, I don't know, sneakers. Um, you want to boost that person's position in life. When, you, when they put on the pair of sneakers, they need to look good, feel good. And they're going to feel like everyone's looking at my shoes. It's a very similar sort of mindset. You're still playing with the, it sounds a little bit nasty and a little bit like puppet master, but you are still playing with the psychology of the individual who's buying the product at the end of the day. So I think that it does drive me a little bit insane when I hear B2B say that B2C people can't do their jobs and it drives me nuts on the other side of the spectrum. I think we just all need to come together. <laughs> but what have we got? 
Yeah, as you said, it's all about helping the individuals. And I, I'm pleased you're, you're looking to help Jeremy because I can tell you Jeremy does have a lot of problems and does need a lot of uh, <laughs> solutions. But hey, listen, this has, been, this has been great, James. I threw a lot of kind of diverse questions at you and you handled them beautifully. We could have been talking all day here for sure. These are some great, great discussion. Listen, James, thank you very much for being on the podcast. Listen, if people wanted to reach out to you and connect with you, what, what is the best way to do that? Um, yeah, absolutely. On LinkedIn, you can find me there, James McLean Horton. I guarantee you I'm the only one in the world. So look me up, you'll find me there and I'm happy to connect. Brilliant. Thanks very much once again, James. Thanks for being on the podcast today. Oh, thanks for having me, Jeremy. I really appreciate it. And yeah, hopefully it was good. No, it was. Uh, let's talk soon. Thanks, James. Thank you. So thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, do share. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. If you want to access other podcasts and related articles, you can visit us at omjmedia.com. That's omjmedia.com. Until next time, bye-bye.